1: Good evening, everybody, and welcome to another episode of To Be Discussed with Cup and Gur. My name
0: is Callum Gur, and I'll be joined by my co host and political opposite, George Cup. Hello, everyone. This evening, Callum and I will prove to you that you can have impassioned debates whilst holding vastly different opinions without falling out at the end of the night. So, tonight, we will be discussing the following Are you concerned about the coronavirus? Which of these best described how you felt when Brexit Day struck? And lastly, would you want to live forever? With each of these discussions being accompanied by polls, which you have the chance to vote on at wizardradio.co.uk forward slash listen, and these discussions will be open until the end of the song break between each topic. Uh, But first, last week we asked for you to send your
1: non-political questions over for George and I to discuss. So the first one came in from Spencer. Spencer said, I don't know if this has been discussed before, George and Callum, but I was actually thinking about this during your radio show and wanted to know what you thought. My question is, have you ever bought something because of an advert you have seen? I can't think of any time where I've seen an advert and then actually gone and bought that thing. I know that advertising is more complicated than that, and maybe I'm really unaffected by adverts, but I doubt it. What do you think? And if you haven't, do you think advertising will continue forever if it doesn't actually make an impact? I mean, George, have you ever bought anything based upon an advert?
0: I don't think I have. I tried to think really hard about this, and I don't believe that I ever have actually seen something on the TV, gone straight onto my laptop or phone or to a shop and bought it straight away. I think when I've seen things advertised on TV, it's made me possibly want them but it's never pushed me far enough to actually purchase it myself um i think maybe the 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 furthest i've gone in seeing something on tv is maybe with um like a xbox or a game that i've seen and i've put it down on like a wish list for like my birthday or something um but i've it's never encouraged me enough to to go far enough to actually um, purchase it out of my own pocket. And and I don't think that it ever really would. Um, I think it's more, for me personally, advertising is is more about getting that discussion started about that certain um, item. So then you can go out and say, oh, did you see that new item on the advert? That's the discussion. And because advertising does absolutely um does what it says on the tin it advertises a certain item um to a cluster of people but the best way to get anything out there is by word of mouth and i think this is why we see such diverse and different adverts um because if they are really strange we go out there and say like, "Did you see that really weird advert about that guy singing opera just about insurance And that then encourages us to talk about it. And then eventually it will get someone that goes, actually, I'll have a quick look on that little website to see if I can purchase that thing. And that's how I perceive advertising to work. So I think it does have an impact, but not necessarily the direct impact that I suppose you would expect it to have initially. But what about you, Callum? Have you um, purchased something that you've seen straight away on the the TV or, or wherever it may be? Um, no, I I don't think so in terms of on on
1: the TV, Um, but I I think you're right, George, that the the purpose of TV advertising isn't really for you to to convert, as it would be known in kind of marketing. The idea of, of TV is just to get that awareness out there and start that conversation, as you say. I think if we're talking about adverts that aren't just solely on TV... Then my answer may well be different. You know, if I'm scrolling through Facebook and I see one of those, um, you know, carousels with um, pictures of of a nice item of clothing that that you know that I like, I have converted then, and I have gone through and bought something based upon that, or at least that has pushed me a lot closer towards purchase. Um, so I think realistically, in terms of TV advertising, it, it hasn't made me um buy something directly as such, but it's it's provoked my awareness of it and my understanding of that brand. Um and then it's you know later down the line I get I get pushed much closer towards that purchase. And I think really that's probably how um advertisers plan it as well. But, so it does show it is effective.
0: Yeah. I, I so I I don't know whether this has happened to you, but it's happened to me quite a few times where I've been talking about a certain item of clothing or something like that. Um, and then on, on Facebook, especially those adverts come up a lot into trying to push me to purchase that thing. And it's even when I haven't even searched it on my phone and I've just been having a conversation, it still comes up on my phone um, with the, what I've purchased. And I do find that a bit freaky. But do you think... From what you've said, Callum, then, its it does work that if it is something that you are interested in, then it does push you over the edge to go forward with that purchase.
1: Um, yeah, yeah. I think it, if it is something you're interested in, I mean, in terms of it, with what you've just discussed, in terms of those really uncanny moments where you haven't searched it in your phone, but somehow it comes up with an advert for exactly what you've been looking for. Um, I, I don't think that's because of anything sinister that's happening. I mean, obviously, I worked for a year in in um, marketing, which is closely related to advertising, and, um, you know, worked with um, people that um, were in charge of of um, buying audiences for um, ads on Facebook. And I can tell you that they didn't have data kind of listening into what people were saying. So what it is, it is actually the, the reason why they've managed to pick out um, what it is exactly that you want is because of of the, the rest of the data that they've got hold of, which suggests you're likely to be a kind of person that will be interested in that. Um, so, so it's really interesting because there is those kind of, I think there's these conspiracy theories that are really going around that, um, you know, that because we've got Alexas and Google assistants and things like that, suddenly uh, all advertisers are listening so they know exactly what it is that you want. I mean, yeah. I, I'm sure a lot of advertisers would love it if that was the case, but because of things like GDPR and
0: that, that that's just not the case at the moment. i'm still on the side of the uh, conspiracy theories uh (laughs) we've got our next question in from connor and he says this is a left field one for you guys but what do you think north korea is like some people think that there is loads of poverty there and people are living awful lives other people think that it's actually more wealthy than you would expect i reckon there is more poverty than most places but also some middle class people and rich families too well callum what what do you think about north korea yeah, I mean, this is one, I, I, I had thought
1: about it before, as such, but I had never really looked into it as such. But I, I did, I, I watched a, a short package that Channel 4 News um, produced about this just before coming on there, actually. Um, and I, I think based upon that, my, my understanding is that <laughs> if you go on a, a kind of tour where the authorities know that you're going, uh, yeah. which is basically the only way you'll get into North Korea. um you'll get this really um controlled tour which which shows you the real benefits of North Korean life. but it's all completely stage managed. and And when you get those very rare moments where you can look out you know across um across the city and look and speak to ordinary people, you start to see the cracks that are appearing i mean quite literally um on this channel four package that you could see on some of the apartment blocks that they were rotting essentially a lot of um the the apartment blocks and and i think that just shows you the fact that um as connor says i think there is a hell of a lot of people living in poverty there um and i i do agree that there probably is some middle class people and rich families too generally those that have been in favor by the um by the party that's in power but also obviously with the leader um but i think that's a really small number of people in comparison to in a western context really the middle class dominates now but i think it's a really small amount of people and there probably is as as much poverty as what you might expect i think in north korea it's just that sometimes i think they're brainwashed a little bit into not really kicking up a fuss where you and i might well do i mean what do you think george
0: yeah i think that the image that they would like to kind of portray to to the rest of the world is that they are a very rich state and they are doing amazingly well but um from some documentaries that i've seen similar to you calum it's the images that are shown are does make it seems to be a very lovely place to live but if you actually move out from the main capital city you will start to see the poverty and the um hard lives that a lot of people are living um and i mean technically north korea kind of is a communist state um so if we're going on those lines of the ideology of communism then everyone should be equal of wealth um but unfortunately that is not what is actually taking place in north korea and as canon rightly says the people that do live in north korea they aren't allowed to see outside of north korea and they are very much brainwashed into that their life is actually fantastic because they are the best country in the world and they're very rich for what they actually have, um, which unfortunately, com- compared to the rest of the world, um, is not the case. Mm. And
1: just um, finally, just to get in this, this last question, I think it's a good one. Um, so it's from, from Lila. Lila says, before I say what my question is, I'm going to say that I used to be a big sceptic um, of all things mythical, the impact of the stars and stuff like that. But then I've had a few experiences which have made me question that. So do you guys believe in astrology and horoscopes? I don't fully believe in it, but I'm starting to question that and think that perhaps it is more real than I ever thought. George, just very briefly, do do you
0: believe in horoscopes and astrology? Not not so much, no, I think that a lot of the things that are said can be quite truthful, but uh, for me personally, I think it's more of a consequence or like a just a a chance that it would actually happen that the the way they also word horoscopes are quite loose so that you could relate to your life a lot to what your so your sign um says your star sign says and everything so that's I'm loosely a believer but i I don't think what they're saying is the hundred percent truth because of the way they word the their predictions of of people's lives. What about you, Callum? And um, yeah, I mean, I, I'm I'm massively, massively sceptical.
1: I, I think it's it's dumb luck normally. Um, what why sometimes they seem to match up with what's happening, particularly horoscopes. Um. And, and you know, I, I just I don't think that there's any kind of real basis of it. I mean, I think that's still like a, an interesting discussion point sometimes to have. But, you know, I, I really struggle to see that there's any real truth in them personally. Right, then. Uh, remember that we'll be announcing what the question will be for you to send in your opinions on at the end of tonight's show. So make sure you're ready for that the chance to be featured in this segment of next week's show but we've reached time for our first song break this evening so we'll be back very soon
0: hello and welcome back to, to be discussed. Let's move on to our second discussion of this evening. We're asking: Are you concerned about the coronavirus? So on the 31st of December 2019, the World Health Organization was informed of a cluster of cases of an unknown flu detected in Wuhan uh, in China. On the 12th of January 2020, it was announced that a novel coronavirus had been identified in samples obtained from cases. As of the 2nd of February 2020, 14,390 cases and 304 fatalities have been officially reported by the Chinese National Health Commission from mainland China and Taiwan. Some healthcare workers have also reported to be infected. In addition, as of the 1st of February, a number of cases have been diagnosed in other countries, mostly from travellers from China. And two of those cases were diagnosed in England on the 31st of January. So with this virus spreading around the globe, do you think we should be concerned, Callum? I think um, obviously we're with-
1: or any kind of virus that seems to be spreading a lot, that there, there is a certain amount of concern that that's um, kind of relevant to that. I think you know. I mean, we've we've seen you know nearly twelve thousand confirmed cases when I, when I looked earlier, or actually more, as you you say now, George. Um, and uh, two of those have been in the UK, um, and. You know, there's there seems to be little known really about how this is transmitted, and so of course there, there's a concern about that. But I think we should put things in perspective as well.
0: Yeah,
1: and say that you know, realistically, um, there, there's been no deaths in the UK so far. Um, there's few actual cases of it, as I've just alluded to. Um, and I think the worst time for it in in china has now passed as well In that, over the chinese new year there is a lot of mobility in the population because of a lot of younger people are going back home and going out into the more more rural areas kind of like how um in the united states you might see that around thanksgiving in the uk you see that around christmas time and new year um and and so that that's now passed generally. um so so I think the worst time perhaps is over and the, the time when this um, this virus will be spreading a lot. Um, and I think and one other thing I'd say is that the World Health Organization hasn't declared this to be a public health emergency of international concern at this point. Um, therefore I think, whilst we should be concerned and obviously we want to ensure that no one else is losing their life from this uh, and the, you know we're tackling this and putting money into research I think we should also put it in perspective and, and say and make sure that we don't um, overreact we don't over sensationalize this um, because I think that will allow us to have a much better response if we
0: remain relatively calm about it I mean George are you concerned I'm I'm not overly concerned no and I think you're so right callum that i the the media do have a, a way of kind of making things a lot larger than they actually have to be and and absolutely the media have a right to make us um they have a right to make us concerned about what it what is happening, but ultimately as well, um, you know, if we do look at around the country, for example, like I said, United Kingdom has two, Spain only has one known um, victim of the coronavirus, um, and it is it is things like that. But but also what I key thing to what i wanted to say um is that a lot of people have said that the the coronavirus they've been finding on um their uh like spray to spray down tables and stuff because it says it can get rid of the coronavirus but this strand of uh coronavirus is completely different to what we've had before and the coronavirus is actually also um it's a large family of viruses and it can be anything from the common cold to what we have now and this particular virus has passed from animals and we've never seen this virus being passed to humans before and that's why it's so if you like dangerous and peculiar um i think as well we shouldn't be too concerned because you know there this this isn't in the hundreds of thousands it's not in the millions um and and we should also have faith in the medics and the doctors that are already doing trials um to make sure that there is a cure to make to, to, to try and eradicate the coronavirus that is currently um threatening the globe so i absolutely think that as much as we should definitely be aware of this i don't think right now especially in the united kingdom and europe we shouldn't be too worried
1: yes yeah i mean i should just say actually i've just um been informed that actually the world health organization has declared this as a public health emergency i mean obviously because there's been so um numerous cases um but i i still stand by the facts that you know maybe from a slightly selfish perspective i suppose it in the uk and in the west i mean the, the cases so far are quite minimal and um, mm-hmm. so i don't think we should be concerned as much as perhaps, you know, I mean, if you obviously are from China, your, your level of concern is going to be greater. Um, and just like the the way the coronavirus has suddenly come into the picture a little bit more in UK headlines because of the fact that we've had um, cases in the UK or, or yeah. two cases so far in the UK. I mean, I, I think one other thing I'd, I'd say is that, um, the World Health Organization has issued you know a kind of a few mythbusters about this um, in, in uh, or at least in so far as we know I mean obviously one thing that a lot of people are saying is well are antibiotics effective in, in preventing this and the short answer is no uh, they're not because this is a virus um, and, and antibiotics are only for bacteria yeah. as such um, but There is obviously always a risk of of dual infection um, when when you're in hospital and when you're afflicted by the coronavirus. So people may still well be getting treated by antibiotics, but that's not actually for the coronavirus um, at this moment. I mean, George, do do you think um, talking about treatment of this? I mean, obviously, at the moment, there isn't really a known treatment. But do do you think that the
0: UK government should be prioritizing putting money into combat this? I think yes, on a global effort, I think the whole whole globe should be getting together to, to combat this. Um and I think that it is definitely an important thing to 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 look into, absolutely. Um but it, but I think if I, I was when I was thinking about this question, if we compare it to something that a virus that recently kind of hit us was swine flu. Um yeah. And, and swine flu, I remember because it happened when um, both kind of I were at secondary school and I there were a lot of our uh, friends. Well, um, a couple of our friends that I remember having swine flu and I remember them not being in school for months, actually. And that was a really quite a major thing that hit this country, especially. Um, so and, and compared to that, I <clears throat> excuse me, I don't believe that this is as much of a threat as something like swine flu was. Um, I I. I think as well, like Callum rightly said, with China is that it's so heavily populated that it's easy for these diseases or viruses, excuse me, um, to be passed around. And because it has been detected rather early, it means that we can start working on a cure effectively as well. Um, and, I, and I think that now the um, WHO has declared this as um, a health emergency. Countries like our own um, will definitely be fighting the efforts to make sure that we can defeat this. Um, Do you think, Callum, that this is just a kind of example that as the human race, we aren't um, kind of we, we are still in a world that can kill us off. And I don't mean to be so kind of blunt about it, but that there are still things out there that we technically haven't so much discovered as it were, that could still kill us. And do you think because of that, we have to be more aware of our surroundings or do you think that it's just something that will come and go and we'll just get back onto our normal day lives? Uh, so in this, um, question.
1: I, I think, um, Yes, it is. It does obviously show that we we are at massive risk always, um, and that there are some stuff that we don't know, really, that that could well come and and pose a threat um, to the human race. Mm. But I do also think, um, you know, we we have to look at these, and, and we we have to, as you say, George, almost try and live our daily lives. Um, you know, you can't be completely. Um, affected by this and you can't let things come to a halt um, and at the end of the day, as I, as I say, from from our perspective, things haven't got particularly um, at the moment uh, and I think, you know, based upon that, um, of course, this does show that there is a threat um, always from yeah. from things, but I think yeah. probably the bigger threat really rather than this virus would be something like antibiotic resistant bacteria or something Mm -hmm. like that which is obviously
0: something that we're actively contributing towards yeah do do you agree with that yeah no i totally agree with everything you have just said there kind of and how do you think this poll is going to go i I think obviously people are going to be concerned about this um i'd say
1: um probably 80 percent of people will say they are concerned about this to
0: some extent what about you i'm going to say that 45% 45% of people are going to say that they are concerned um, and 55% will say that they're not.
1: Okay.
0: Yeah, but there is only one way to find out and that is why you guys put on the question are you concerned about the coronavirus and you can do that at wizardradio.co.uk forward slash listen um, and we'll be back after this song break. Hello and welcome back. So before that break, we asked the question, are you concerned about the coronavirus? And as always, you guys have been voting away. And the results are. So 57% of you said, yes, you are concerned. And 43% of you said, no, you're not. So Callum, I said 45% would say no. So I was right.
1: Did you? Did you? <laughs> <laughs> no, I didn't. know. <laughs> I was going to say, I, I mean, you can't. Oh, God, George. My memory's not good enough for you to talk to like <laughs> that. Um, but obviously, um, in all seriousness, obviously, this is a, a slight concern, I think, definitely. I mean, even on a kind of minor level as such, and obviously with the loss of life, that does, it's always going to make people concerned about it. Um, but I, as we said throughout that whole discussion, really, um, I think the the idea now is to, you know, try and try and move forward so that we can work on a cure and things like that. Yeah. Right then, uh, time to move on to our third discussion of this evening. And we are asking which of these best described how you felt when Brexit Day struck. Uh, So the UK has officially left the European Union after 47 years of membership and more than three years after it voted to do so in a referendum. The historic moment, which happened at 11 pm Greenwich meantime, or Greenwich meantime rather, on Friday, was marked by both celebrations and anti Brexit protests. Candlelit vigils were held in Scotland, which voted to remain, whilst thousands of Brexiteers partied in London's Parliament Square. Boris Johnson has vowed to bring the country together and take us forward in a social media message which acknowledged the contrasting meaning Friday's events had. For different people. But how did the to be discussed community feel about what has been dubbed Brexit Day? Out of the following, wish, which best describes how you felt when 11 pm struck on Friday? Was you relieved, sad, optimistic, or angry? I mean, George, I could mm-hmm. probably take a stab at which one you most
0: felt, but which best s- summarizes how you felt? Um, it, it, it's it's between relieved and optimistic, to be honest with you. Um, I think right at 11pm I was relieved um, and now I'm feeling rather optimistic. Um, I I will be very honest and as sad as it might sound, when 11pm struck, I was a little bit emotional um, because, I don't know, I, I just was a little bit emotional um, and I'm sure many people were emotional for completely the opposite reason um, of why I was emotional. But I think that however you might have felt at 11 p.m. This is a time to now feel optimistic. And that doesn't mean that you can't feel um, disheartened about the result and the um, the process that has now taken. Um, because, you know, optimism is something that we need now for um, our country coming out of the EU. And we are now going into a transition period which will last until December and you know on December we will either come out with a good deal from um, the EU in terms of trade deals like a Canada-based trade deal or um, as Johnson has already said he will come out on a kind of Australian-based trade deal which is um, similar times of like um, we would respect certain food um, processes and stuff and and wine health restrictions to make sure we could still trade at a very basic level. But essentially it would be a no trade, uh, sorry, a no deal we would still come out with. Um, so yeah, I, I absolutely think I was very relieved um, because it's something that I've campaigned for for a long time. It's something that got me into politics. It's something that I have waited for for a very long time. Um, I'm happy that we have got out with um, the withdrawal agreement and not with no deal um, at this moment. And I feel very optimistic about what this country can do and what we can become as well outside of the EU. And by ensuring that we keep a good relationship with our EU partners as well. Callum, as as it is widely known by our um, to be discussed community, as you like to call them, um, you are a Ramona and you did vote remain. So ch- try and give some context to those like myself that did vote to leave, what it was like as a um, Remainer on uh, the 31st of January. What was it like sitting there at 11 p.m.?
1: Well, I mean, I was—I <laughs> had a a coach journey from hell, uh, actually. At um, well, it was it was a little before eleven p.m. In all fairness, we were off the coach by then. But but on Brexit day, I, I had a coach journey from hell where I was I was stuck um, with someone who had just thrown up on the coach, and you could just smell it for oh. about t- two hours. Um, and you know, I'm not saying there's anything symbolic about that, George, but there definitely is. Uh, no, I, I mean, in, in all seriousness, um, I did feel sad. I'm, I'm not going to lie. Uh, obviously, as has been on record, you know, I, I wanted to remain. I voted to remain. Um, and I was um, kind of loosely, I suppose, part of that second referendum campaign as such. Mm. Um, so, so I was sad um, to, to see our membership gone. Um, and, and when I saw the MEPs with very warm words to say about the United Kingdom um, and singing Old Lang Syne as well, after the parliamentary vote on Wednesday, I think it was, um, you know, that, that did um, make me choke up a little bit, I suppose. But also, I did feel a slight tinge of a relief, I think, as well, in that, for for a very very long time our politics has been dictated by brexit and and the only show in town really is talking about brexit or it has been so i was quite relieved that, that that that's been up in the air for so long is is, is done with now uh, and we can hopefully move forward and talk about some of the the more real issues as well so so I suppose, that in a sense, that also leads me to a slight tinge of optimism, uh, I suppose, although I w- wouldn't say it's a particularly strong um, tinge of that. I'm not going
0: to lie with you there, yeah. George. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think the... What is quite interesting is, as I saw um, the other day, that the those that were once called Ramonas are now referred to as Rejoiners, yeah. um, because obviously we can't remain anymore. If we were to um, decide that we wanted to go back, we would actually have to go through uh, the joining process again and probably actually join the Euro as well. So, on those kind of on that context, would you now class yourself as a Rejoiner? On the grounds that we would probably have to join the euro uh no, I
1: wouldn't class myself as a rejoiner at the moment i I wouldn't rule out the fact that maybe rejoining should be something we pursue, but I think we have to give brexit a chance now to work um and we yeah, we have to move forward and accept the fact that um you know people have now twice voted through some way um for 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 brexit to happen. And we we're fairly clear this time what was going to happen. Uh, I hope that, um, I mean, the, the kind of indication from um, the Conservatives, from Boris Johnson, was that we would be pursuing a deal that's fairly closely aligned with the EU, um, kind of Canada style, as you say, I do hope that that is what happens, but we have to give it a chance now, I think. And we we can't suddenly throw our toys out of the pram and say we're rejoiners now. And also, I mean, there's a very practical issue of the fact that I I very much don't want us to join the euro. Um, And I think the vast majority of the population would agree with that as well.
0: Mm -hmm. And and do you think now, because... um... Le Pen, the uh, French politician, she has already stood on the platform saying that she will uh, now push for France to leave the European Union. Do you think now we have essentially left we will now see other countries try and follow in our footsteps?
1: I think we will see how it goes with with our country. I mean, obviously our country I think is always going to be a special case anyway. I mean, France is obviously a a fairly big nation as well, but um, the united kingdom has a population of 60 million 65 million people mm. you know that i mean w- we always were going to be capable of being independent from the european union and eventually still doing okay um whereas if we look at some of the smaller countries within the eu that that's more difficult i'm not saying it's impossible um but we have to look at you know there is a a difference there I think but I I mean I I think we this probably won't be the last referendum we see on an EU country's membership and it probably won't be the last country that leaves but also um, we probably will see some more ones join eventually as well so it's kind of swings and roundabouts I don't think this is the imminent death of the European Union but I I guess we'll have to see I mean really briefly George do, do you think it's the death of the EU?
0: no not yet um i think it will happen in the next uh 20 to 50 years but right now i don't think it will be the death of the eu absolutely sure. not and uh which what do you think is going to come out on top in terms of how people felt i'm going to say that relieved is going to come out on top um just because i think people are fed up with it all um so i will say relieved will come out on top with sad coming in a close second what about you yeah i think i would i'd about agree with that i'd be close
1: between those two i would think yeah. Right then, it's time for you guys to vote away on this poll. So which of these best described how you felt when Brexit Day struck? Uh, you can vote on that at wizardradio.co.uk for slash listen. And the poll options are relieved, sad, optimistic or angry. And we'll be back very soon. Hello and welcome back. So before the break, we asked which of these best described how you felt when Brexit Day struck. So 33% of you said sad, 31% of you said relieved, 22% optimistic and 14% said you're angry. So George, I mean, obviously that's the majority of people um, saying that they're sad or at least a a big percentage of people saying they're sad. I mean, what, what... what kind of message can you you send to that as as obviously a Brexiteer who is relatively optimistic based upon this result to kind of ease put their mind at ease a little bit?
0: I think um, to those that are sad, I would say that I absolutely do sympathise with you the the fact that, you know, we are leaving something that you potentially didn't vote for or vote um, in. But Look, this is a new dawn for Britain, um, the United Kingdom. And and I think if we all come together and and support what has been voted for, we can make a success of this. And um, as I said earlier, we can absolutely keep your sadness and and your um, kind of feelings around what's happened, but also try and be optimistic for our future, because if we are all optimistic together, then we can make a success of this. Right. Okay. let's move on to our fourth discussion of this evening. And we're asking, would you want to live forever? So the average life expectancy for those of us that live in the UK is around 81 years. Now, a lot of people will be very happy to live into their 80s. But what if you could live longer than that and one day celebrate your 1000th birthday? Callum, does that interest you? Uh, To
1: a certain extent, because I think you always say life's too short, don't you? And and (laughs) there's not so much that problem if you're living forever. But I I do think that there's something really important about the fact that living is a kind of finite thing. Um, And I think that it means that sometimes you seize opportunities that you otherwise wouldn't. You want to improve yourself really quickly as a person because of that um because because we don't um live forever um you know if if we lived forever would i would i be going through university right now studying journalism (laughs) maybe not because I, i might be like well you know i'll just do what i was doing for another another 10 years and and when I'm 100 then I'll go to university or something like that <laughs> you could you could see yourself delaying things a lot more and, and not being happy based upon that I mean what do you think George?
0: Yeah I think our complete outlook on life would, would completely change if we did live forever because um, as you say um, right now a lot of people do live from the fact that you don't know when your life is going to end so you want to create the best of your life right now and you want to be ambitious you want to try and do the best for yourself and equally for those around you um and if you live forever then i think you would be rather lazy um and not be so much in a hurry with your life and just be like ah i'm i'm all right you know i can do that when i'm 50 or whatever um and As much as it would be amazing to see the world develop around us by living forever, ultimately as well, if we think of it in in practical terms, the world would never be able to actually... allow any of us to live that long because it just wouldn't have the capacity to take us um Mm -hmm. if we all lived forever um and and ultimately you know the the whole life cycle element if we go back to the basic natural kind of nature um rules of that we have to kind of live and and die and let the next generation carry on and I, i know that's a really kind of dark way to look at things but it ultimately is why we were put on this planet to, to to survive as a species but to 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 reproduce and then die to allow um, our children to to carry on and i as much as i think as a idea i would never say no to living forever when you get to a certain stage in your life i do believe that there are a lot of people that just think Ah, oh, do you know what i've had a fantastic life and i are, am ready to to leave this world now um and, and i you see that in a lot of older people um they get to a point where they do give up because they feel they've had a fantastic life and, and they want to now move on um and you would never be able to have that sense of release i suppose um and you know the only reason i would want to live forever if i if i was someone like doctor who um and i could like time travel around because you know doctor who was however many years old um and that would be the only thing i would do um but yeah no i think in, in reality i wouldn't want to live forever at all um do you do you think there are like some what if you could live forever callum yeah what would be your kind of main things you would do would you do everything on a bucket list
1: Oh, I suppose, but it, it isn't the very concept of a bucket list tied to the fact that you do die because it's things to do before you die, isn't it? Yeah. Um, sure. But yes, I, I suppose. I mean, the thing is, you'd be able to like save up a lot more money to go and do these really cool things. <laughs> and so, so, I suppose, uh, yes, I, I, I'd want to do the things that are on my bucket list, despite the fact that I'm
0: not going to die. I mean, is that what you'd want to do as well? Yeah, I, I absolutely would. I would at least. Spend 10 years in every single country on the planet, I think. Just so that I could sound say. Sounds interesting, interesting, actually. Yeah, yeah I know. We I could am together? What?
1: <laughs> <laughs> nah, I couldn't stand you for that long, George, blimey no, me. No, a,
0: a week of holidays is enough, Gallum. Yes, yeah. <laughs> um, right, so it is now time for you guys to vote on this question Would you want to live forever? And you can do that at forward slash listen. And we'll be back after this song break. hello and welcome back so for that break we asked would you want to live forever and you guys have been voting away and 53 percent of you said yes you do and 47 percent of you said no you don't well Callum, i think I, i must admit i am surprised by that result yeah i thought the um the no would come out on top of that to be honest
1: um but i mean i guess obviously it would be a a really amazing thing in in theory i suppose living forever i just think it would take some of the the beauty
0: out of life as it were god wow lovely (laughs) (laughs) right okay so thanks for listening to to be discussed with cup we do really hope you have enjoyed this episode
1: So, as mentioned earlier, for the first segment of next week's show, we'd like you to send in your answers to the following question. What policy should the government implement to help you get onto the housing ladder? You can send in those opinions by email to station at wizardradio.co.uk or through Twitter, that's at wizradio. So remember that question is, what policy should the government implement to help you get onto the housing ladder? And we're looking forward to hearing those next week. But it's now time for george and i to say ciao for now so i've been the not living forever Callum and
0: i've been the nah, i might live forever george <laughs> thanks very much for listening everybody we'll be back next week at the same time and the same place for another episode of to be discussed